Hey, my name is Jake. I'm one of the executive leads here at Epic, and thank you so much for being with us today. And if you're watching online and worshiping wherever you are today, thank you so much for finding us and choosing to worship with us wherever you are uh, today. So who's going to win tonight? We got 49ers, we got Chiefs. I'm, I'm just here. Okay, let's, uh, by a show of hands, that might give me a little more. Who's, who says the Niners are going to win tonight? Okay, maybe a third about, all right, the Chiefs? Still about a third, and then we got about a third that's undecided. Okay, makes sense. Well, if you remember last year, what did I tell you about Super Bowl Sunday? What day is it? It's the most romantic day of the year, right? And I had, a, I had a message on that last year. If you missed it, it's called True Love Pursues. Uh, it's a good story about how um, I met my wife. And so if you want to go back to uh, messages from a year ago, you can watch that. I'm not going to get into that today, though. We are going to be talking a little bit about marriage and family today. And so we are beginning a new series called Functional Families. I'm really excited about this series. And throughout this series, we are going to explore God's design for marriage, God's design for family. We're also going to look at some tough topics such as forgiveness, communication, and we're even going to learn how to stop the cycle of dysfunction in your family. Who could use some of that? You don't need to raise your hands. All right. <laughs> and throughout this series, we're also going to spend a lot of time in God's Word, and our goal is to help guide you toward having a healthy, happy, and functional family. Now, we can all agree. We might not all be able to all agree on who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight, right? But we can all agree that family is important, right? For instance, by a show of hands, who came to church with somebody from their family today? Yeah, we've got hands up all across the room, right? See, families are awesome, aren't they? Families, they, they go to church together. They live together. They help each other get out of the door to school or work on time, sometimes anyway. Is a kid, when you're playing a sports or maybe you're involved in music and you have a music recital, it's your family that shows up there to support you. Families go to the movies together. Families have game nights and movie nights together at home. Families play together. They vacation together. They celebrate holidays together. Families create traditions together. They'll even pass them down to their kids and their kids' kids, generation after generation. Anybody have some family traditions in your home today that have been passed down by your parents or grandparents? Yeah, a lot of us do. You know, families, they, have that, they also have that unique bond that causes you to come to their defense even when you know that particular family member is 100% in the wrong. Right? Has there ever been a moment where you've come to the defense of a family member and you knew they were wrong, but they're your family. You're going to stick up for them. Or maybe you were that family member that somebody had to come to your defense. You know, but as, as awesome as families are and as awesome as families have the potential to be, families can also be the source of some of the greatest hurt that you might ever experience throughout your life. You see, it's often those who are closest to us who have the potential to hurt us the most. Family members, they can let you down. They can disappoint you. They can forget to show up to something that was super, super important to you. Family members can take you for granted. It hurts when they lie to you. It hurts when a family member cheats you out of something. It hurts when a family member leaves and maybe never comes back. And there might be some of you today, and you know what it's like to be neglected or abandoned by a parent or a family member, a father or mother who gave up on your family and walked out the door. As great as families have the potential to be, 
Families can also be a place where there's nonstop arguing and, and yelling, outbursts of anger and violence, spousal abuse, child abuse, emotional abuse. And I'm sure there's many people who are joining us today in person, many who are watching and worshiping with us online. And you may have experienced some severe trauma in your life because of your family. There might be some of you today who you don't even want to have kids because you don't want to risk bringing someone else into this world and suffering the same kind of trauma that you went to. There might be some of you today who refuse to get married because you say, you know what, there's a 50-50 chance of divorce, so why put all that time, effort, and energy into something that only has a 50% chance of working out anyway? And so if you've experienced many of those hurts caused from family, I'll just be straight, straight up with you. We're not going to be able to solve that over the next four weeks. But here's what we can do. Over this four-week series, we can show you God's design and God's intention for marriage and for families. And as you learn from his word and begin to apply his word into every area of your life and into every area of your family, then over time, you'll be able to see how God can begin to transform even the most dysfunctional family and turn them into a healthy, happy, and functional family. So today we're going to take a look at and we're going to try to understand God's design for family. You see, God designed families to be a place where you can be known intimately. God designed families to be a place where you could be supported continually and loved unconditionally. As many of you know, I grew up in a a rather large family. I don't just mean a slightly large family. I mean an excessively large family. I am one of 12 children. I am the third oldest. And family time growing up in my family was a big deal. Every night we sat, we sat around a gigantic uh, kitchen table and got a, a picture up here. And you'll see this only has about half of us. I think that's only about six of us there. So you can imagine when we had all 12 of us together how we'd have to squish in. But we would have dinner together every night and everyone was expected to be there for dinner. During dinner, we would get this. We would talk to each other. There, there was no TV during dinner, no background music, just plain good old conversation. Tell me about your day. How's everything going at school? How are your friends treating you? We would just talk around the dinner table. Now, Sunday in our household growing up, Sunday was the Lord's day, right? We didn't make plans with our friends on Sunday. I wasn't even allowed to play Pop Warner football because the games were on Sunday morning. So, so Sunday, what would we do? Like many of you, we'd go to church together. And yes, as a family of 12 kids and two parents, we did take up two rows at church, not even joking there. And so anyway, after church, we'd come home and we'd have a big meal together. And then we would do usually one of two things. We'd either stay home and play games together as a family, um, or we, my dad would take us on these long Sunday afternoon drives. Anybody ever have to endure a long Sunday afternoon drive growing up? And we grew up in upstate New York, lots of rolling hills, lots of back roads. And we would go on a two-hour Sunday afternoon drive. But as a kid, it felt like 10 hours. And guess what we didn't have? We didn't have any kind of technology that we could hold in our hand. We had to look out the window and admire the trees and the clouds and the sky. And I'm telling you, it felt like an eternity. Now, every now and then, my dad would spoil us. And, you know, having 12 kids, you don't get to spoil your kids a whole lot. But every now and then, one of those long Sunday afternoon drives would end with us stopping at one of those little uh, soft ice cream uh, shacks out in the middle of nowhere, and we would have an ice cream cone. And that kind of made it worth it just a little bit. 
Now, growing up, we also had family devotions together. Every morning at 7 a.m., my dad would gather, us, gather all of us down in the living room, and we would sing a song or two together. No guitar, no piano, just our voices, just singing a cappella. And then we would read a, a, Bible from, a, a, a passage from the Bible, usually about a chapter or two. And following that, my dad had this prayer list. It was about a page long, and the prayers were written in about 10-point font. So there were a lot of things to pray for. We would go through that entire prayer list, praying over our city officials, praying over uh, governors, the president, uh, leaders of other nations. We would pray for missionaries all around the world. And, and at the end of that prayer, my dad would say amen. And then we would all kind of wake up and pretend that we'd been praying and say amen too, right? <laughs> And I grew up in the mid-80s and early 90s, and man, what a time to be a kid, right? Yeah, I mean, I I loved growing up back then. Let me just say, it was a different world back then. There was no parent drop-off or pick-up at school. Nope, you just walked to school. And I remember as a kindergartner walking a mile to school on my very first day of school. And that wasn't strange, that was just how you did it. I also remember as a kindergartner leaving halfway through my first day of school, but that's a different story. All right, other cool thing about growing up then is you just played outside, right? The whole world was your playground and all you had to do was be home when the street lights came on. Anybody remember those days? Yeah, all right, a lot of hands going up, right? Now, one other thing about the 80s, discipline in the 80s. Who would argue that discipline in the 80s is different than it is now? Yeah, right? So there was no such thing as a, as a timeout. There was no such thing as a, you're going to have a technology break. Those things did not even exist, right? If I did something wrong, I just got spanked. So if I, if I was five years old, I got spanked five times. If I was 10 years old, I got spanked 10 times. Get this, we actually had a paddle in our home, yeah, that had a Bible verse written on it. It had this Bible verse written on it, said Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And yes, it was written in the King James Version, just like we would pray most of the time. Now, to this day, my mom swears that I got spanked every day till I was 14 years old. And so according to that proverb, my mom and dad loved me very, very much. So I'll also say that every time I got spanked, I'll be honest, I deserved each and every one of those spankings. So um, I grew up, also grew up in a time where many things in life were from the devil. Anybody else grow up in that time where things were from the devil, such as cable TV? We didn't have cable TV because cable TV was from the devil. Get this, we also didn't have video games in our home because once again, video games were from the devil. Uh, We actually had the, the original Nintendo in our home for about a week before it got taken away. We were playing Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers. My mom's in the kitchen making dinner and she hears us just saying things like, oh, I died or oh, you killed me. And so after about a week, she was like, that's about enough death in this house. That is from the devil and that is going out to the curb. So bye-bye Super Mario. So, so that was my childhood. Lots of family time, lots of spiritual discipline in my upbringing. And as you can imagine, with 12 kids and two parents, that's 14 personalities under one roof. And so we also had quite a bit of, I hate to use the word dysfunction, so I'll say it was more like an ongoing clashing of personalities, that's what it was. And there was a lot of arguing, lots of name calling and bickering. We all had moments where we lost our temper and said things that we didn't really mean. There have been moments where we've let each other down. 
There's been some severe hurt amongst my siblings, amongst my parents, but no matter how bad it ever got, deep down we still love each other because as the song goes, what does it say? We are family, right? We still love each other no matter how bad it got. Now, this coming August, my parents are going to celebrate 50 years of marriage together. And that is quite an accomplishment these days. And especially knowing everything that we, those 12 kids, put our parents through. That is a huge accomplishment. It just blows my mind. Now, in that family, um, I am a younger brother. I'm also an older brother to many. I'm a, a son. But I also have a family of my own. My wife, Julie, and I, we have three teenagers, Faith, Sam and Nate. And this past November, Julie and I, we just celebrated 20 years together, which once again blows my mind. In fact, in just a couple days, this Valentine's Day is going to be uh, 21, 21 years from the day that Julie and I first met in person. Now, there were many things from my childhood that I did not incorporate into our family. For example, I, I hope this doesn't make me a bad, a bad pastor, but we often have the TV on when we eat meals. Am I being shamed right now? So the, in our house there, quite often, there's a sports game on the TV while we're sitting around the table, or I'll be honest, around the couch having dinner. Um, we have multiple gaming systems in our home. So I, I guess maybe deep down, I don't really know if they are from the devil. And I'll be honest, our kids do on occasion receive a technology timeout. Yes, that, that does happen. We have no paddle with a King James verse in our home. So there's some things from my childhood that I, I did not bring over. But there's also a lot of things from my, uh, that I learned from my parents that I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to incorporate that into my family. I learned the value of family time. And so we do spend a lot of time together as a family. We're very intentional about spending time together as a family. In fact, um, uh, my day off during the week is, is Friday. And so we even have my son, Sam, who works at Chick-fil-A. He'll even take Friday off as well. So that way we have more family time together. And I'd like to think that I don't take my family on those boring two-hour Sunday afternoon road trips. But I had been known to take my family on some very long road trips. Every year, here's what I'll do is uh, I'll look ahead at the summer and I'll plan out a weekend where we can go see my favorite baseball team, the Los Angeles Angels, and I'll plan a family road trip to go to that city and we can see them in a city, that, a stadium we've never been in before. So we've tra taken trips down to Miami, Tampa, those are pretty close. But I've also taken my family on road trips get this, just to go see a baseball game. We've gone up to the D.C. area and, and watched them play at Camden Yards in Baltimore. We took a road trip to Wrigley Field up in Chicago. And last year, we went all the way up to Cleveland and got to see the Angels play the Guardians. And so this is a, a big trip. Some of those trips are 14, 16 hours driving each way. And so my family will endure some of those road trips, but we're spending time together. Now, it's not all about me. We also find things that our kids are interested in, and they love amusement parks. So we've taken trips all over, all over the U.S. to visit different amusement parks that are on their bucket list. We were able to go up to Cedar Point this last year. We've taken them to Carowinds in the Carolinas. We've been to Bush Gardens in Virginia. And we, we find things that our family love to do, and we understand this is going to bring us 
closer together. We're going to have some family members, uh, some family memories together. See, we, in our family, a priority in our household is we put a priority on spending time together rather than accumulating possessions. So oftentimes, one of their, their big gifts at, a, at Christmas or their birthday, it's not so much they're getting a gift, something tangible they can, they can hold and build and create. A lot of times, their big gift is we're going to take them and go do some kind of fun family adventure. Could be an escape room, could be an amusement park. And that's one of the things that we incorporated into our family. Now, another thing we started when our kids were really young is something that we called Daddy's Home. Now, I would work all day, and when I'd get off work, I'd come home. And so what, when you've worked all day, what's the first thing you want to do, right? You want to go home, get a cold beverage, put your feet up, and relax, right? Find some you time. But we started doing what was called Daddy's Home. So when I came home, it was game on. I was mentally prepared that when I walk in the door, Daddy's Home, and we're going to do whatever you guys want to do because you haven't seen me all day. So if they wanted to get out lightsabers and have a sword fight, we would have a battle in our front lawn. If they wanted to go to the park and have me chase them all around and climb through the, the tunnels and up and down the slides, we'd go do that. If they wanted to go to the community pool, we'd go spend an hour at the community pool. But that was daddy's home, and we're going to spend some time together as a family. Now, that became real important in my life because I noticed as a kid, that was something I kind of missed out on a little bit. My dad is probably the hardest working man that you'll ever meet. And he worked his tail off all day, but then he would come home, and guess what he would do when he got home? he would continue to work. He had, a, he had a garden, he had flower beds. And so he'd come home at five or six. Um, he might start dinner or get it going, but then he'd go and he'd spend an hour or two tending the things around the home. And I would have loved my dad to come home and just shoot some hoops with me you know, from time to time. But he always told me that sports were a big waste of time. And you know, he was like, come help me in the garden. You know? And so, so I realized, okay, that's something from my childhood that I felt like I wanted. So when it comes time for me to have kids and, and create a family, that's something that we can easily incorporate into our family. So here's what I did. I took some good things from my childhood, and I looked at some areas of my childhood where things could have been done differently, and I tried my best to combine what I learned through my experience to create a healthy family dynamic for our family. Now, see, we all have an idea of what we want our family to look like, don't we? And for many people, this may be what your ideal family looks like, all happy, gathered around the Thanksgiving table together. But in reality, this is probably more what your family dynamic looks like here on the next slide, right? <laughs> You're not quite so happy gathered around the Thanksgiving table. You see, whether you had a good family dynamic growing up or whether you had an awful experience with your family growing up, you can take the good things from your childhood and you can leave out the things that you didn't like. You can leave out the things that caused hurt and you can be intentional about how your family is going to function. You see, a functional family, it doesn't happen automatically. A functional family requires intentionality. And as parents, we get to play a vital role in how our family is gonna function. So you must have an idea of how you want your family to function. And then you must put a plan in place to get there. It's not going to happen all on its own. It requires intentionality. It requires a plan. It requires a design. Now, the good news is you don't have to figure out this plan all on your own. You don't have to figure out this design all on your own. Let me, let me give you God's design for family. Number one, God designed families to be a place where you can be known intimately, to be a place where you can be known 
intimately. For those of you who are parents, have you ever had a teacher or maybe a nosy neighbor try to tell you something about your kid? Don't we tend to get a little bit defensive and say, stop right there. You don't know my kid the way that I know my kids. You know, I'm 45 years old. I, I moved out on my own at age 18. So I've lived more of my life outside of being under the roof of my parents. And, and yet to this day, my parents still know who I am at my core. And that's because God designed families to be a place where you can be known intimately. Well, well how intimately? Well, how intimately does your heavenly father know you? Jeremiah 1.5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. In Luke, the Lord says, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. In Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Let's go on to verse 5. Uh, let's skip to 13. It says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So God, the creator of the universe, God designed you and God designed families. And did you know that out of everything that God created in all of his creation, the Bible says that we are his masterpiece. Not the mountains, not the sky, not the universe, not the vast stars, not the galaxies. We are God's masterpiece. Now, famous artists are known by what? They're known by their masterpiece, right? Consider Leonardo da Vinci, the world's most famous artwork, the Mona Lisa. Vincent van Gogh is known for works of art such as the Starry Night. Michelangelo for the creation of Adam, which appears on the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican City. And Ephesians 2.10 declares that we are God's masterpiece. Me, you, fathers, sons, daughters, the core people that make up a family, we are God's masterpiece. When God designed humankind, God designed us in his likeness. Genesis 1.27 says this. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created them. You know, God never intended humankind to be alone. God intended for us to be surrounded by the love and support of families. So number one, God designed families to be a place where you can be known intimately. And number two, God designed families to be a place where you can be supported continually. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. God designed us to be in a family so we wouldn't have to do life alone. In a functioning, in a healthy family, there's always someone there to help and support you. So in the Garden of Eden, God made Eve to be a helper who was just right for Adam. And Genesis 2.21 goes on to say, So the Lord God, God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
It says, while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And then the next verse, verse 24, talks about how God intended man and woman to be united through something we call marriage. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is the first time in scripture that the words father and mother are used and it's to describe a marriage. Two people being joined together to form a family. This is God's design for family. Now, is it, is it possible to have a family Outside of God's design, yes, it is possible. Two people can live or cohabit together. Two people can even have children together without ever entering into a marriage covenant. That is possible. And I have very close friends who've designed their family that way, and they love each other very much. It's actually working for them. But I've also seen many examples where living together or cohabiting outside of marriage didn't end so well. But consider this logic for just a second. God is the designer and creator of marriage and family. Therefore, it would be wise to use the blueprint he has provided us for marriage and for family. And several years ago, the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research published in the City Journal an article entitled, Why Marriage is Good for You. And so I want to share some of those stats for you. We're going to go through these pretty quickly. But according to their research, here are 10 reasons on why to marry or not to marry. We'll go from 10 and count down to, down to one. So number 10, it's safer. Statistically, cohabitors engage in more violence than spouses. According to the research, two-thirds of acts of violence against women were not committed by husbands, but rather by boyfriends or former husbands. Number nine, it can save your life. Married people live longer and healthier lives. Number eight, it can save your kid's life. Children lead healthier, longer lives if parents get and stay married together. Number seven, you will earn more money. Scientific literature suggests that marriage is a productive institution, equally as important as education and boosting an individual's income. Number six, you'll get much richer. Entering retirement, a married couple's assets average a little more than $400,000 compared to $167,000 for those who never get married. Number five, marriage increases sexual fidelity. Cohabiting men are four times more likely to cheat than husbands. And cohabiting women are more than eight times likely to cheat than wives. Number four, it's good for your mental health. Married couples experience less anxiety. They experience less depression, less distress than those who remain unmarried or divorced. Number three, marriage will make you happier. Single people and those in a cohabiting relationship are twice as likely to say that they are unhappy with their lives. Number two, your kids will love you more. Divorce weakens the bonds between parents and children over the long run. And number one, you'll have better sex and more often. So married people are, are the most likely to report a highly satisfying sex life. Can I get an amen? Any brave people out there today? All right. 
So even secular research points toward the fact that God's design for family is the most excellent blueprint for marriage and for family. And so if you're thinking about getting married or if you're thinking about starting a family, it's important to understand this. It's important to understand that God's design for family is sealed with a marriage covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant is a formal agreement between two or more parties where they agree to do or not to do something. Now, look, I understand the world that we live in today. Sometimes it can be uh, more cost-effective to cohabit together before you get married, right? Plus, we live in a culture that, that encourages, encourages us to try before you buy. So there's the temptation to live together like a married couple, just without the marriage covenant. And then there may be some people here today, and, and maybe you've, you already have kids, you're, you're living together, and for whatever reason, you just have not tied the knot. But no matter where you are today, I want to encourage you, even if you've done some things out of, out of order, I want you to know that it's never too late to start pursuing God's design for your family. Here at Epic, we've worked with, with couples who are cohabiting together, and we've even had couples who've made a commitment to remain abstinent until they get married. And although that might not be easy and it might seem impossible, guess what? With God's help, it is possible. And so as a church, I just want to say we're not here to point fingers. We're not here to judge. But we're here to help point you toward God's design for your family. And if you feel like that maybe somewhere along the line you've gotten a little bit off track from what God's blueprint is, or maybe you're saying, you know what, Jake, I didn't even know God had a blueprint for family. I didn't even know God had a blueprint for marriage. But, but as a church family, we are here to help guide you toward God's design for your family. So why is a marriage covenant so important? See, in a marriage covenant, love is not based upon certain conditions. In a marriage covenant, love is unconditional. Genesis 15 gives us a great example of this, is God makes a covenant with Abram. It says, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram then, he, what he does, he cuts them and he places half of the carcasses on one side and then half of the carcasses on the other side. And what's supposed to happen next? In a covenant, this might sound familiar, both parties are to walk down that aisle together, separated by the carcasses. And symbolically, what they're saying is if I fail to hold up my end of the agreement, may I become like those dead carcasses. And that's what a marriage covenant does. And get this, in verse 12, it says, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. This deep sleep, we've already seen this word before in Genesis. It comes from the Hebrew word tardema. This is the same word that we read earlier in Genesis 2.21, where it says the Lord God caused the man Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's ribs and used it to create Eve. So God puts Adam into this tardema, this deep sleep. And when Abram wakes up from this deep sleep, it says in verse 17, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So why is this important? 
to seal the covenant. God condescended and a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of the animals. Now, traditionally, in a, in a covenant agreement, both parties would pass down the aisle together. However, by only God passing through, this is what God is saying to Abram. By God passing through on Abram's behalf, God is not only saying that I'm going to hold up my end of the agreement. God is saying I'm going to be responsible for holding up your end of the agreement as well. Now, how many more marriages would survive today? How many more families would not have to suffer brokenness if we treated marriage like a covenant, like the way that God intended it? Imagine being in a committed relationship where even if the other person didn't live up to their end of the agreement, you still held up your end and their end of the agreement. That's covenant. That was God's intention for marriage. God's design for family is sealed with a marriage covenant, a willingness to commit to your spouse no matter how difficult life becomes. God designed families to be a place where you could be loved unconditionally. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful description of what unconditional love looks like. And it just so happens that this is one of the most used passages at a wedding ceremony. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. See, God designed families to be a place where you can be loved unconditionally and where you can show love unconditionally. And so as we wrap up today, remember that God has a beautiful design for marriage. God has a beautiful design for family. Do you want to be known intimately? Do you want to be supported continually? Do you want to be loved unconditionally? Now, why not consider God's design for family? God created family, and he's provided an excellent blueprint for us to follow in his word. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at forgiveness and communication. We're going to provide some practical tools from God's word on how you can stop that cycle of dysfunction in your family. So here's what I'd like whether you're here in person or whether you're watching from home or wherever you are. I'd love for you to commit to join us over the next three weeks. If you can't be here in person, you can always join online as well, but commit throughout the series to make sure you don't miss a single message from the series. Let's learn together how we can have healthy, happy, and functional families. I'm going to ask everybody to Close your eyes and bow your heads. And, and maybe God has been speaking to you this morning. Maybe the Spirit's been tugging on your heart. And like I said, as a pastor, it's not my, it's not my place to judge or convict anybody. That is, that is up to God and God alone. 
But maybe through hearing God's word, you've seen an area in your life where you say, you know what? That might not be exactly the way that God intended family in our home. And so maybe you need to course correct a little bit along the way. And so as a, as a church family, we just like to pray for you. And so if that's you, if you feel like you need to cor- make some course corrections in your family dynamic, just slip your hand up. We'd like to be able to pray for you if that's you. There's some changes that you need to make. Just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. We love our home to be a place where there's unconditional love, where we're known intimately and supported. And if you would like some one-on-one prayer, I encourage you to stop by the prayer tent on your way out today. As soon as you exit through those doors, it'll be right there on your right-hand side. We have some people who would love to pray with you individually. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you give us, through your word, a beautiful blueprint to have a healthy family. God, I pray that you continue to teach us what to learn, or teach us how we can learn to love unconditionally, especially to those nearest to us in our families. It's your name we pray, and everyone said, Amen.